0: You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. I'm your host, Curry Bordelon. Today, we're delighted to have Michelle Allen and Megan Whitfield join us today to discuss how to meet the needs of the LGBTQ patients using culturally competent care. Welcome, Michelle and Megan.
1: Hi. Hi.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. So as we get started, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about your background. Tell us how you, you know, what you currently do and how you got into the role that you're currently in. So let's start with Michelle.
2: Hi, and thank you again for having me. My name is Michelle Allen. I am the Director of Diversity Education in um, UAB's Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. I've been working at UAB since about 2019, so still fairly new here, but I've been working in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion for over 10 years. I offer courses for faculty and staff at the university that are related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and one of those courses would be our Safe Zone course. It focuses on fostering a welcoming and inclusive environment for all individuals, but particularly LGBTQ members of the community, as well as terminology, and then lastly, working on strategies to be aware of what harassment and discrimination looks like for this community so that we can prevent it
0: excellent thank you so much megan can you tell us a little bit about your background and what got you into this uh your current field
1: sure um so i'm megan whitfield i'm a nurse practitioner at student health at uab Um, (laughs) i have been in primary care with uab since around 2013 and i became interested in this population just because um, i became aware of the barriers to care that some of this population experience and it just sort of uh, gauged an interest in me and sort of lit a fire uh, within me to just make sure that that i can remove as many barriers as possible when i see this patient population and it segued in the last few years to where i like to talk to nursing students um, and i like to talk to other medical providers uh, and just sort of uh, invite them to to challenge their own barriers and any assumptions that they have made um, so that they can better care for their patients
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you both for being here. So let's let's talk about some more specifics about the population and also uh, how you can uh, overcome barriers and obstacles, but also how you get people empowered into embracing a very diverse uh, group of patients and how you care for patients. So let's talk about, a little bit about the unique needs of the population. Let's talk about some of the very unique needs of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. So uh, Michelle, can you start for us?
2: Yeah. When I think about the unique needs, I think about an overall need for compassion and understanding. For a lot of people, they may not have anyone in their day-to-day life that identifies as a part of this community. So maybe when they interact with the patient, it's their first time interacting and they don't know what to say. They don't know what terminology to use or you know how to refer to the person. And so one of the things that we can do is just give people the basic skill sets they need beyond offering compassion, but then understanding terminology which pronouns to use how to interact with someone and and how to use the terminology that makes them feel most supported because i think again the the gap that we're seeing there is a general compassion and understanding for how to interact with this community in a way that makes them feel affirmed um seen and valued and then subsequently allow them to get the care that they need
0: do you find a lot of the people that you interact with are often challenged by some of the nomenclature but also uh, do you find that most people want to approach uh, unique communities or communities such as the LGBTQ plus community? They want to approach them effectively and uh, you know, very empathetically. However, they're not quite sure what language to use. Do you often find learners that are struggling with that?
2: Absolutely. I think the terminology is so expansive and is always changing. And so I think there are a lot of people that are just flat out intimidated by you know, the terminology that exists. But one of the things that, you know, if I could emphasize to just offer people grace and some, passion, some compassion for themselves is that when interacting with the patient or anyone, one of the main, thing, main things that you can do is ask them, how should I refer to you? What terminology should I use? So in our Safe Zone course, we go over a list of terminology. But one of the main things that I emphasize is to mirror the language that people use for themselves. And that way it removes you from having to be a content expert and just allow you to have a moment by moment, interaction by interaction connection with the people that you're serving. And then use that, that language to then go into furthering your knowledge and thinking about how do others who identify in the same way, what nomenclature do they use for themselves? But the main thing is just to mirror the language that people are using for themselves in that interaction to make them feel affirmed and seen. And I do think most people want to in general demonstrate the skills that they need to foster a welcoming inclusive environment even if it is counter to some of their upbringing or their moral or or religious values people in general from my experience are open and welcoming and want to do what they can
0: and you bring up some very good points when it comes to uh, talking about potential barriers and obstacles. And I, I want us to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about that in just a minute. But I want to hear from Megan uh, next. Talk about some unique, um, unique uh, issues or opportunities that needs that you might find in your population when, uh, or your specific focus area whenever you're uh, talking about the LGBTQ plus community.
1: Sure. Um, well, for my specific population. Um, which, which is a kind of niche population because I work with um, the age group that I do with student health. Um, but I find that a lot of people come into, um, into the visits to see me and they may not know the words that they want to use specifically to describe themselves. So we just, I, we acknowledge that and then we just uh, start, start from that point. Um, so it's not that I need someone to, um, you know, you don't need to use the perfect descriptor of yourself to be a part of the community if you're part of the community, you're part of the community, and um, we leave it up to self to just dis- decide how they'd like to describe self. So, um, so with me, sometimes it's just giving someone that that freedom, but also understanding that um, a lot of people coming into clinics, um, you know, post adolescence into student health, from so in the age range of eighteen to twenty-four, um, it's really their first medical visits without parents present. So that you get, um, you can get a lot of. Um, you get a, you can establish a great relationship with these with these patients, but they also learn to trust you and they really look to you for guidance. So it's a really unique position to be in, and it's something that I don't take lightly. Um, to know that sometimes um, people are hearing about advocacy first out of my mouth, um, and to be I'm always very honest and saying I'm actually not a member of this community, but I will advocate um, and help you find the words that you need. Um, we we will absolutely do that. So I would say that's probably my unique unique situation.
0: And that's such a valuable uh, piece of information. It's also a valuable perspective because the adolescent community and those uh, young adult community, uh, like you say, is a lot of times the first uh, opportunity to have uh, a visit with a healthcare provider outside of having parents there with them. So building that trust sets up a long-term success for them to be able to talk about important health issues, uh, health and mental wellness, and so forth. So that's that's a very important topic. Can you talk a little bit about your population, Megan? Whenever you know, whenever you're whenever you're caring for your population, and have others that you're helping train to care for that population. Talk about some of the unique, uh, the barriers and obstacles that you encounter, and how you address those.
1: Sure. Um, so I think it goes back to sort of what Michelle was saying. We're still really intimidated by the the verbiage or the um, the acronyms or nomenclature. Um, and it really just needs to boil down to, you're just trying to take the best care of this person that you can. And that's, I find that most of um, the nurse practitioner students that I have, or um, even other, you know, when I'm giving lectures that people do want to understand how to communicate with their patients best. Um, they just may be stumbling um, over actually even just taking an effective sexual history, which is where you just need to start with these visits. So all of my physicals include that uh, component. Um, I don't skip over it. And it's actually been shown in, in, you know, in the data feel like they're being taken care of better by their medical providers if they're asked about a sexual history. So that's a great place to start. Um, you know. And then if someone's totally uncomfortable talking, then you know that you, you, you might need to back up a little bit and, and start uh, from a different angle to sort of talk about health overall. Uh, but I would say overall, um, my nurse practitioner students are always very willing to learn. Um, and they do a great job and um, they do get very worried that they're not gonna say exactly the right words. And so we just talk about that and how there's there, there actually usually is a lot of grace for my population and there's no need for perfection, but there is a need for an effort on their part.
0: Excellent, that's such good points. And it's so so important to also highlight how continuing that within the education community when you're training the next generation of provider, both nursing and advanced practice, uh, how important it is to uh, to bring that uh, knowledge forward and bring that empathy forward. So we're going to talk about specific nursing in just a minute, but I want to talk to Michelle just a little bit about in your population and, you know, because you do a great deal of, uh, of uh, education and training within the academic community and also outside the ac- academic community. But during your training and, uh, and, uh, and educational sessions that you carry, both with Safe Zone and other opportunities, What kind of barriers and obstacles do you find within your learner population?
2: Yeah, it's going to be odd for me to preface this as a barrier, but, you know, a lot of us have adopted this idea of the golden rule, which says treat people how I want to be treated. But in terms of diversity, equity and inclusion, particularly related to the LGBTQ community, I encourage people to use the platinum rule, which says treat people how they want to be treated and that takes a specific you know desire and and need to understand the cultural values and the you know background of the people that you're interacting with as opposed to assuming that everyone wants to navigate the world like myself a queer black woman raised in the south instead what i try to do is understand the person that i'm interacting with and use the language the affectation the disposition that the person that I'm talking to wants to use so that I can respect them. And so again, that is a shift away from what we've always been taught, which is to treat people how I want to be treated, but that presumes that everyone moves through the world like me. So the platinum rule again says, treat people how they want to be treated. It requires me to step outside of myself, get to know what honors and, and what values someone else, and then use that in a conversation. And so that that is a barrier in that, again, so many people are often taught and conditioned to look at the world through their lens and use that lens to understand the world around them as opposed to considering the lens of others.
0: Excellent, what a, what a strong point. And I think that's gonna be certainly our big takeaway is gonna be you know that platinum rule of treat others like they want to be treated because that brings so many different pieces to that. One of most importantly that comes to mind is empathy. Uh, empathy mm-hmm. for others around us, empathy for, a, you know, a culture, a belief, uh, you know, whatever it might be, that is so important uh, to be part, you know, part of that empathetic uh, uh, embrace. So I want to mm-hmm. spend some time talking about clinicians and let's talk about clinicians, specifically nurses. And for the audience here, uh, what kind what kind of things do nurses or specifically clinici- clinicians need to know when they are uh, caring for or addressing? Or wanted to be more part of the community, caring for that uh, the LGBTQ plus community. What type of things could nurses know uh, going in to have a stronger relationship?
1: Sure, Um, I'm going to assume that was coming to me first, so I'm going to go ahead and start. Go ahead. Um, So I would say first um, that really the first step for for most people with understanding any issue, if they're not a part of the community, would be to um, examine self and self bias, which we all have. We all have bias. We have to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to explore how you want to take that on. So um, some people might uh, want to join if they have an employer that's, that's quite large, they probably have diversity and inclusion training, they probably have groups that you can join. Um, and then if they would work like to work more privately, then I do recommend, there's some Instagram accounts that I do recommend. Um, one is Monroe Bergdorf, Bergdorf's, um, and the NPR has recently actually Been coming out with a lot of uh, diversity information on their Instagram. Um, And then LGBT uh, underscore history is is another great Instagram account. So just sort of surrounding yourself um, and making sure that your feed represents your patient population if that's if you're wanting to um, uh, be open and understanding of, of your patients and more empathetic, but also just meeting your patients where they are. So knowing what they're comfortable talking about, you know, someone coming in for a heart attack. May not need to talk to you about their sexual health specifically, but when their partner walks in and is the same, uh, you know, sex as them, um, then there's there's no reason for that to be any different than any other situation with a with a partner walking in to visit with a patient. So, um, but that's something where someone would need to examine their own own bias that they have and explore that. Um, and there's also some books um, that I'd like to recommend. Um, one is I'm sorry I wrote them down so I knew I was going to forget the names of them. Um, there's blind spot by uh banaji b-a-n-a-j-i and then jennifer bring great books that are related to diversity and inclusion and in, in the workforce um so i think i think that that's important is to make sure that that every day you're just working on self um, and work on beliefs um, and then you can take that further to working in your community and advocating more more um more heavily for your patient population if, if you desire to do that
0: Excellent. Thank you. And thank you so much for those book recommendations. I know that can be very helpful for a lot of people who want to explore and get to learn more about how to bridge that gap in communication. So, Michelle, let's talk a little bit about your whenever you're training nurses, whenever you're training other clinicians, what kind of what kind of things do nurses specifically need to know whenever they're uh, caring for patients, or and, and the population, not just the LGBTQ plus patient, but the family members as well? Because despite what we you know we hear, we know, and we we have uh, beliefs uh, about and unconscious bias about about how it might be very siloed, an individual might be very alone. There there are LGBTQ uh, members of the community that are very embraced by their family as well. So it's not just monolithic. So can you talk a little bit about nurses and what are some of the things that they need to know when they're caring for patients and their family?
2: Yeah, I think to build on what Megan shared, there is a need to become a lifelong learner. Right to continue to learn and unlearn things about ourselves and the people that we're interacting with. And just something as fundamental as the difference between gender and biological sex, right? Gender being the social construct of what it means to be feminine or masculine, and biological sex being sort of put into a binary of male, female, or intersex, but just continuing to learn because the knowledge does change and how we apply that knowledge does change as well. And exactly what you see on the screen is an is a infographic that you know we've created specifically here at UAB to sort of help people understand what these different things mean. There's a difference between gender identity and gender presentation and sex assigned at birth. And some of that, again, in the very beginning can be difficult to wrap your head around, especially if you've always thought of sex to be only man and woman or gender to only be man or woman. Um, there, it requires some unlearning. And so there has to be a value, a lifelong commitment to learning and unlearning to sort of make sure that we're doing what we can to be as inclusive as possible
0: excellent thank you so much and that you know the infographic was extremely important because it brings all some of the most important elements when it comes to not only gender identity but also expression and so forth into a very uh concentrated sort of visual so you can kind of get to know that information very easily so we hinted about this uh, and i want to talk to both of you about stigma that's one of the things that can be a big challenge uh, because, you know, part of the interaction as a nurse is, of course, verbal one-to-one with a patient, right? Uh, and the other part is the nonverbal piece. And we want to try to steer as best we can about as being a provider, steer away from that stigma, obviously. We might have those preconceived notions. How do you help people bridge that gap and get a, get past that preconceived notion that or that bias or that stigma? So, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think if we can get to a place where we can see that the person that we're interacting with is not a statistic, right? They're not one identity. They are the sum total of multiple identities, right? So someone could be a member of the LGBTQ plus community and also be a devout Christian. Someone could be a member of the LGBTQ plus community and identify as a person with a mental illness. Right. And I think if we can get out of the idea of only seeing the people that we're interacting with as one essentialized or tokenized identity, then we can sort of zoom out and say this is a person that I'm interacting with and move beyond some of the negative stigma that exists out there and start to look at some of the diversity within this community as a form of as an asset. Right. And look at the resilience and the pride that a lot of people take in their identity, but not only looking at people as one thing. And so if we're able to do that, if we're able to zoom out and see that this is a human that is in front of me that is in need of something, in need of information, in need of care, that has very little to do with, you know, who they choose to love or who they choose to be physically intimate with, um, then we can get to a place where we could say, I want to know your gender identity so i can use the terminology and the pronouns that make you feel affirmed but it would be helpful if you felt comfortable enough to share with me your sex assigned at birth so i can know what hormonal or physiological issues might need to be addressed here and again being able to establish that rapport by seeing the human can again create an opportunity for better care um, of that person that that you're interacting with in a moment
0: Excellent. That's a really good point. And I appreciate that. I'm going to talk to Megan about the same topics because I want to talk to her uh, about how you bridge that gap with stigma in the clinician. And and whenever you interact with uh, nurse practitioners, nurses, and so forth, uh, especially in the clinic, how do you help them understand? And how do you help others understand that that stigma piece and how to overcome that?
1: Okay. Well, um, it starts with me, really. So um, when I'm teaching and I, I... you know, I tend to be very straightforward um, and when I ask questions, when I'm seeing a patient, um, regardless of what we're talking about, it's, it's, they're very straightforward questions um, and there's never a question at the end of the question, you know, like sort of, or any facial um, expressions you'll really see me, me make. Um, so uh, it, it starts with me making sure that when I'm teaching, that I'm teaching facts and I'm te- teaching opinions. Um, and I'm teaching what what we really know to be true, and it's the same thing with my patients. Um, to be honest with you, um, it, it's easier sometimes working with my nurse practitioner students uh, than it is to work with my patients because my patients sometimes bring in stigma. Um, some of my um, my gay students, I've heard them say things that I you know I, that I would think we had put to bed 20 years ago, but they're still there. Um, so it's it's um, it's definitely something that starts with me for sure and just being very matter of fact um, and and i think once i impress upon my students my nurse practitioner students some of the health disparities that my lgb students will face um, they're much more understanding of why i do what i do too because um you know these patients are if they have a bad experience with healthcare, which the statistics are atrocious if you look them up um, most of these this population are going to have a pretty um, a bad experience with healthcare where they may even have been harassed by their healthcare provider, which is just, I can't fathom, um, but definitely happens. Um, So if, when I give them these statistics that these patients may be more likely to um, have chronic health conditions, they're more likely to be diagnosed with cancers late term, um, they're less likely to have health insurance, they're less likely to go get their prescriptions filled because they don't know, um, you know, what they might meet at the pharmacy, any sort of harassment or kickback. so once they know, understand all of that, then they become much more empathetic to the population. Um, but they still sometimes sort of, I think, feel afraid to use the verbiage or the nomenclature. So then we just kind of back up to using, you know, just meet the patient where they are. And that's all that you have to do is just express empathy to your patient. Um, tell them why you're trying to do what you're trying to do. Um, and just make sure you're sort of checking all um, any, you know, your bias that you have um, and your you know, any, anything that you're bringing into the situation, you have to check it at the door. So.
0: Excellent. That, and that's so very true. Do you find that there's a generational uh, gap that's in there sometimes with how receptive your learners are or receptive the patient population might be uh, when it comes to discussing uh, issues such as the LGBTQ uh, population needs?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't want to be ageist at all. But I do think that um, the younger population do have more access to social media, and they are seeing this, and it it does make a difference what we're seeing and what we're exposing ourselves to every day. And so if we're exposing ourselves to other people that are trying to teach us, and we're trying to learn from them, then we make a lot more progress. And I find that it usually is the established um, providers, um, APPs or, or physicians or whomever, that I usually have to break a break down a little bit more barriers with um, specifically um, some of my men that have sex with men they're their own hiv prevention medications and you know i'll hear the patients actually say this and then sometimes the providers will say well i don't want to help them with that and, and start them on a medication for hiv prevention measures because i don't want to give them you know just let them be able to go have sex with whoever they want Well, um, that argument is dead in the water there's been tons of evidence and research it doesn't you know it, first of all if it did who cares um, that's their, whatever they want to do is what they want to do, but, um, it, it, doesn't increase, um, you know, risky behavior at all, or, or sexual activity at all to give someone HIV prevention medications any more than it does to give, uh, cis females birth control or contraceptive. So that, that research is also there. It's been shown. Um, so it's, it's, um, when I can start to pull some statistics out at, at the older generation, they typically hear a little bit, but really got to do the work um and start to sort of sit in in the data and and sit in the their own bias and sort of start to examine it which can be hard um but it's it's something i would you know always be willing to talk to anybody about at any point in time and encourage them on their journey for sure
0: yeah this is so very important so before beg your pardon yes please go ahead michelle
2: no No, I wanted to add on to something that Megan talked about that I hadn't considered and I didn't articulate, but it's such a brilliant point. You know, there's a lot of research that shows that folks with minority or marginalized identities are more attuned to the nonverbal communication um, that happens in these interactions than folks with more dominant identities, because they would know in a very unique way what it feels like to be othered in a space. So something as small as an eyebrow raise, right? When Megan talked about you know, asking about sexual history, something as small as a, a shifting of the shoulders or an eyebrow raise or a heavy sigh, even though not intended to send a message, could send a message or impact someone in a way that shuts them down and sends a message that maybe you aren't a safe place um, for me to land in terms of you know, my care and, and being honest with that. And so there, there is a need to be more aware of the nonverbal Um, and and body language type communication that happens when interacting with patients of marginalized identities, particularly the LGBTQ community, is why I'm very selective about who can teach the safe zone course and who can't. Because if there's any uncomfortability, then I don't want to send the message to anyone in the audience that this isn't a safe space for them. And so there's a lot of intentional training that we do to make sure that we can uh, work through that with anyone that is entering this field of endeavor
0: excellent that's that's a really good point as well and so as we as we move in i want to spend a little time talking about resources before we end today so i want to talk about resources that are available not only for nurses but also for the community but before i do that i want to answer a question i want to propose a question for my audience and our audience wants to know about pronouns and you know we talked earlier about the difficulty in trying to do the right thing and trying to say the right thing and not offend anybody so how can someone who's naive about the pronouns and the different pronouns that are out there, what kind of, what can you help them, what what can you say to help them understand about pronouns and to be able to do so where they don't feel judged trying to articulate correct pronouns? So how can you bridge that gap between the person whose pronouns that you want to talk about and the person trying to care for that patient?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, can Michelle, can you negative. start?
2: Okay. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that we emphasize with pronouns, I first want to explain why it's necessary, right? As people start to find language in in identifying ways as it relates to their gender, we're understanding that there aren't just two genders. There are over 42 types of ways that people can identify as it relates to their gender identity and gender expression. And so in that way, you could be looking at me and presuming and taking in all of the information that you have at your disposal and say, based on how i'm perceiving this person i think this person is a woman and so i'm going to use she and her to refer to them right but you don't know that for sure right and we want to allow people the autonomy in naming themselves right i think megan and i have emphasized that point so the way to do that would be to say you know my name is michelle i use she her pronouns what pronouns should i use for you and that allows someone to again have autonomy in how they are being referred to The one that people have the most uncomfortability with is the gender uh, neutral or gender nonconforming pronoun of they, them and theirs for an individual person. It seems to go against traditional grammar norms, but think about it in this way. We've been using they and them to refer to a singular person since about the 13th or 14th century. Think of it. And I took this example from Grey's Anatomy, so I can't say it's my own. But if you were to go to a movie theater in the before times before the pandemic and you saw a jacket in the seat, you would then take that jacket to the attendant and you would say someone left their jacket. You don't know who left their jacket, but someone did. And so by doing that, by using someone's proper pronouns, their preferred gender pronouns, you can make them feel more included and say that I want to honor the identity that you chose for yourself. And if you forget to ask, think of it if you were to interact with someone and you forgot their name. You met them once before and you forgot their name. The way to do that is just to ask again. You don't want to be overly um, apologetic about it. You want to apologize and say, please be patient with me. This is something that I'm working on. But if you forgot someone's name, you wouldn't send them an edible arrangement or a bouquet of flowers or send them a $25 Starbucks gift card because it's just a momentary mistake. The idea is to correct it and move forward together. And so. In that way we can start to be patient with ourselves and be more inclusive of folks who don't identify in a binary pol- polarized way in terms of their gender identity.
0: Excellent, that was extremely helpful, I appreciate it. Megan, I have a question for you from our audience, uh, dealing specifically with clinical engagement. So mm-hmm. as a clinician, you know we talk about being ourselves, looking at self, making sure that we're comfortable with self and also comfortable with the acceptance of others. But as a clinician, how do you, how do you get the patient to understand that you are an accepting person? For instance, if you're in a diabetes or a hypertension clinic or something along that line, there's not advertisements outside on the, on the door of the office or anything, but how do you get in that space where it's comfortable, where patients who's there to see for diabetes or, or hypertension can also talk about other uh, things such as LBGTQ uh, needs, but how do, you, how do you display, how do you uh, provide that information to patients uh, to yeah. let them know that they're in a safe space.
1: Yep. So that starts um, with, so with clinicians, nurses, uh, working in primary care in the hospital or wherever, um, uh, you just need to look from the patient experience from the beginning to the end. So um, from the very beginning, um, um, our patients are changed their, their preferred name, their pronouns, but they're also asked at the front desk when they check in, like they gave, they give their name, but then they're asked, you know, is that your preferred name? Um, do we hit that nail on the head every single time? Probably not. We probably sometimes are answering a phone and don't. But then that's usually something that I back up to also um, during clinic visits. So um, that's what I, I would suggest is it just starts from the very beginning of the patient experience. So what does your artwork look like um, in your clinic? Like maybe you working uh, in OB or, or gynecology, um, but maybe I'm sure that you do, if you don't realize it. But I'm um, seeing some patients that are uh, trans males, or you're seeing someone that wants to harvest eggs to preserve fertility before they start uh, medications, or maybe they are uh, identify as a woman that has sex with another cis woman. Um, so just making sure that your artwork in your waiting room is is somewhat gender neutral, um, which is so easy, you know, trees, just landscapes, things like that, um, and then that the pamphlets and information that you have out in your in your um, room also diverse population and then making sure your front office staff has had training uh, in, in how to address their patients and how to ask for things um, of that nature. And then the same thing with the nursing staff and the clinical staff, lab staff. So, um, you know, we have definitely worked on that over time um, and we're always, always trying to do better even, but um, that's that's a good place to start.
0: That's excellent advice. I really appreciate that. So I want to talk about, a little bit just for, for a few minutes to talk about resources. So what kind of resources can, can clinicians have? Uh, and we'll start with Megan. So what kind of resources can you provide uh, to our community um, sure. that, who want to learn more about how to meet the, the needs of our LGBTQ community?
1: Yes. Um, so the CDC.gov has um, some resources available. It's under their HIV prevention um, one of my favorite websites for my, uh, my patients um, is the Rainbow Ontario Health website, um, so it's just a colorful, fun website, um, so um, my patients that are going to start on gender-affirming care um, and medications, then it's a great, it just has, um, it has a lot of great information for them and it's really easy to navigate. Um, WPATH. So it's the World Professional uh, Association for Transgender Health. They have a ton of information. And then also, uh, probably one of the biggest ones is the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association. Um, They have an annual conference each year. And so you can sign up for that conference and and, and learn more. Sure. Um, So those are some great resources. Um, Let's see. That's probably all I can think of off the top of my head specifically.
0: Excellent. This is very helpful. A lot of great re- resources, and I really appreciate it, Michelle. In your population, what are a couple of resources that you uh, have for those interested to learn more how to uh, provide competent, uh, you know, culturally competent care?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I echo everything that Megan shared. Those are great resources. But then I would also offer myself right in our office as a resource we do offer the safe zone course for everyone as a part of the uab enterprise as well as the greater birmingham and alabama community area and so when you go through that course we do go over like i mentioned at the top of the course ways to use um, inclusive language terminology and then general strategies that can be used to foster an inclusive environment and after you go through that course you'll get the Safe Zone sticker that has been updated um, that I believe we could share on the screen. But what it does is give you a way to signify just what you mentioned, Curry, a way that you to signify that you have some basic level of knowledge and that you have some general competency in this area. And that sticker can be placed on your door or on your laptop in some way that signifies in a nonverbal way that you have some basic foundational um, understanding. Outside of formal ways to learn in like a classroom environment, I would recommend you know, looking at television shows, I know ironic, you know, that doesn't usually fall into a way of expanding knowledge, but there are so many great series and documentaries that are out right now, a series on FX called Pose that, you know, gives a lot of insight as to what this community looked like from the early eighties and nineties up until now. Again, it's that's available on FX. And then there's a documentary on uh, Netflix called Disclosure that was produced Um, by Laverne Cox, who is a very well-known figure in this community. And so again, it gives you some general understanding so that when you do interact with someone um, from this particular community, LGBTQ plus community, you have some foundational knowledge of what it's like to move through the world with this particular identity, and therefore you can be a little bit more inclusive and welcoming in your advocacy and support.
0: Thank you so much. That's that's, that's great. So in our last minute together, because we're wrapping up, in our last minute together, one quick takeaway from each of you. So Michelle, do you have a quick takeaway?
2: Yeah. I think it'll be to just sort of reiterate what I mentioned with the platinum rule. Remember to treat others how they want to be treated. And that does require a little bit more time and a little bit more effort, but it does do so much to affirm the identities of people that we share space with. It moves us outside of seeing the world only through our lens and look at using empathy uh, to understand the viewpoint, the values, uh, the support needed to support people around us um, that have identities that are different than our own.
0: Excellent, thank you. And Megan, do you have one quick little takeaway as we close out?
1: I do. Um, I would just say, you know, the reason most people go into nursing or to medicine is because they want to care for other individuals. Um, And so I would always keep that in mind when you're taking on learning about a population or or new things that that you'd like to learn. Um, But it's the best way to take care of your patients and you definitely want to be able to meet them where they are. So um, just keeping in mind why you got into the profession in the first place and uh, and and putting the work in to to be uh, the best caregiver for your patients.
0: Excellent. Thank you both very much. This is It's such a great conversation to talk about something that commonly can get people very anxious, to have such an open and honest conversation that is about communication, empathy and communication for people around us, empathy and communication for each other. So thank you so much. This was a wonderful discussion. Thank you both for being with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. This podcast is also available in video form at YouTube dot com forward slash c forward slash nursing network.